The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Before we get into today's conversation, I wanted to take a minute to tell you that Eat for the Planet has partnered with Plant-Based World to launch the Eat for the Future Business Forum which will take place during the Plant-Based World Conference and Expo, June 2019, at the Javits Convention Center in New York City. The Eat for the Future Business Forum will feature panels, workshops, case studies, and talks focused on the shifting food landscape, and will explore the opportunities for retailers, food service providers, as well as brands. We already have an incredible lineup of speakers, including a number of guests I've had on this podcast. This event is unlike any conference out there and is a must-attend for anyone looking to expand their business in the plant-based food space. You can find a link to register for the event in our show notes or go to eftp.co slash event to learn more and use the code EFTP at checkout to get 20% off. Now on to today's guest who is very unique and unlike any previous guest I've had on this show. He is not a food entrepreneur or an investor. In fact, he doesn't even work in the food industry. But trust me, if you want to get a renewed sense of clarity and perspective on what you are doing and the impact you hope to have with it, you will find this conversation incredibly rewarding. The Venerable Tashi Nima is an ordained monk in the Jonang lineage of Tibetan Buddhism and leads the Universal Compassion Buddhist Congregation with Sanghas in Texas and Mexico. For more than three decades, Lama Tashi has shared the Dharma in North and South America, Europe, as well as Asia. He has been an animal rights advocate since 1968 and leads twice yearly meditation retreats for full-time animal activists. He is the author of the Dharma Handbook, Three Wheels, Three Sutras, and the Buddha's Bowl, a collection of Buddhist instructions on radical compassion for animals. Tashi has this ability of communicating some very deep topics in simple ways. But when you stop to really think about what he just said, you'll realize that those simple ideas have some very profound implications. He's articulate and concise in his responses, and in fact at times during this conversation, you'll find that he merely guides my thinking through a topic rather than provide me with all the answers. We ended up talking about a range of issues including his perspective on what are the core causes that led to our destructive food system and what we can learn from our previous actions. Why having the right view is everything. Why mental peace and clarity can help you change the world and also make you better at many things, from strategic decision-making to food marketing. 
I won't say more, except just listen to this conversation when you are not too distracted so you can grasp the subtle brilliance of what Tashi shares. This is, without a doubt, my most enlightening episode. Tashi Nima, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you, Neil, for having me. First, I think um, I should also thank uh, our mutual friend, Ari Nessel. Uh, he invited me to a meditation retreat last year, which was held over a Thanksgiving weekend. And um, that's how we met. You were leading that retreat. Uh, so thank you, Ari, for uh, for creating the right circumstances that uh, brought Tashi and me together. Um, and that retreat has, you know, inspired me in, in, in many ways. Um, and I'm sure people listening to this are wondering, what is what is a re- meditation retreat got to do with, with my podcast, which is about food? Um, but we'll get there. Um, but, you know, the ways in which this retreat inspired me are, I, I won't get into all of them, but one of the simple ways it has is I've been hosting... Um, group meditations in my apartment in LA uh, ever since uh, that retreat. We have it every other week and um, we have uh, an interesting mix of people who come, many who are um, uh, activists, many who work um, on similar causes that I'm um, passionate about. And we we use, we do guided meditations using um, some of the recordings I have of your meditation. So uh, a piece of that retreat has carried on since Thanksgiving last year into 2019. And um, so firstly, I just wanted to express my gratitude to you and, uh, and of course, Ari, without whom um, we wouldn't even know each other. Yes, definitely. Um, but, you know, the pu- purpose of this podcast is, um, although I'm very tempted to use the next hour to have you fix every problem in my life, <laughs> I, I won't do that. Um, instead, um, I do want to use this time to get your thoughts on some, you know, bigger problems being faced by humanity as a whole. Um, what struck me in our um, experience with the retreat in, in, in your talks, as well as in our one-on-one conversations was that I was shocked that I hadn't heard of you before, the fact that you were you were able to put spirituality or mindfulness or Buddhism, whatever we may choose to call it, into the context of um, bringing about change in, in how we treat each other, not just each other, but also other sentient beings and, and the planet that we are on. Uh, I find that very unique. There's not many. I've been to many meditation talks and, and Dharma talks and rarely got such a clear perspective from someone who not only talked about compassion and uh, mindfulness and uh, and understanding how to view the world, but was practicing it by saying by themselves being, you know, and for one, vegan, <laughs> which was very yes. unique to me. I had, you know, you're the first... Um, I would say vegan monk that I've met, so uh, so I knew we would get along, but uh, it didn't end there. And so I want to get your thoughts on some some bigger issues and um, see if we can use your your knowledge, your wisdom, your experience um, to guide people who are working hard to solve some of these big problems that are affecting. Um, the planet as well as animals and and human health, uh, because many of them listen to this podcast, whether they're food entrepreneurs, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, activists, um, and generally people who are concerned that at the rate we're currently going, 
our planet and humanity is not going to be in a great place um, a few decades from now. So how do we, yeah, how do we fix that is really where I want to begin. So let's start at a really high level. If you look at what's happened with our food system over the past 70 to 100 years, it's really in the past 70 to 100 years that this system has evolved into this massive machine that is literally chewing up and spitting out our natural resources. You know this as well as anyone else listening. Not only is this current system of food production dominated by industrial animal agriculture, not only is it unjust, but it's also unsustainable. And of course, it's unbelievably cruel. It causes suffering to others, but it also is now coming back to impact us um, very in very real terms with climate change at the moment. But in, you know, if you connect the dots, it's going to impact us in ways that we just cannot perceive at the moment or are refusing to see it. So I want to start there as in, you know, what if from your perspective, um, what can we learn? I mean, from, from what we've done in the past. And the reason I start there and I want to know what we can learn from our past mistakes is because, as you've said to me before, everyone whether it's corporations or individuals, we make choices based on what we think is going to bring us happiness, whether it's in the form of wealth or success or good health or whatever it may be. And so obviously we as humanity made these choices to create a food system that would feed the growing population. And we made these choices, which has gotten us to this point. And of course, now we're learning those choices. We're not necessarily the best ones. Now that we know that, how do you think what, what what can we really learn from it well the first thing that we have to we have to look at is that as you say we all make our choices based on what we think will bring us happiness the problem is that if you you introduce a mistake in the beginning of a calculation let's say you're going to make a very very a large mathematical calculation if, uh, if an error is introduced at the very beginning, then the error is just compounded in the different steps of the process. Same thing can be said about, you know, if you are sending a, a rocket uh, to the moon and you have a, a miscalculation of even a small degree in the beginning, as the rocket continues its its way, the the mistake gets bigger. The the distance from its intended target becomes greater, and the miscalculation that we have had in this and many other areas, all our problems can be traced to the same thing, is that we have what in Buddhism we call two fundamental wrong views. And what are these two wrong views? The first is the view of separation, which means that we view ourselves as abstracted from and different from other uh, beings, other things, right? We are the subject and everything else is the object. And the second one that comes uh, very closely tied to that wrong view is the view of supremacy. What is the view of supremacy that we think that our interests must come first? So when you put these two together, separation and supremacy, what happens is that we act in ways that are 
uh, inconsiderate of the needs and of the welfare of others. Now, here's the problem. We're calling it a wrong view, the wrong view of separation, because ultimately the interconnectedness of all sentient beings and actually all existence in the world is an undeniable fact. It's not just a, a Buddhist uh, aspiration. Interconnectedness is a fact. And when we begin to experience the negative effects of what we do, suddenly we are surprised. How could this happen to us? How could our choices in, in, uh, in, in the food industry bring us to the brink of a planetary destruction? Well, because we introduced that mistake in the very beginning, the wrong view of separation, as if we were independent of what happens to others, and, and the view of supremacy, which is the wrong view that our interests can somehow be achieved at the expense of others. When we do that, right, then we have broken uh, two cardinal laws, and I'm not talking about human-made laws or even religious laws, I'm talking about two natural laws, the law of interconnectedness and the law of equality. What is the law of interconnectedness? That there's nothing that can be done that does not affect the totality. And the uh, law of equality means that all aspects of totality affect each other uh, invariably. No matter how small, everyone and everything is affected by what happens to everyone and everything else. So we begin there, we can understand how it is that we have arrived at the problems we have, not only with our food choices, but also uh, with our social choices, our political choices, mm -hmm. all of these exhibit the same fundamental mistakes. The, the interesting thing there, I mean, I, I love that it, it starts at the highest level to explain that it all begins with a, a wrong view. And that results in us then making decisions that have the false or the wrong perception that we are somehow able to benefit ourselves without impacting anything else or that by harming something else, we're not inadvertently harming ourselves. Um, and that's just the law of ecology. I mean, it is, it is in, proven in science. This isn't, uh, this isn't a spiritual ideal. This is, this is reality of the world. So one of the things I've, I've started to think about a lot, and I notice as I tend to talk to a lot of people that are um, working on solutions, that are working to right the wrongs of the past, that are trying to say, Okay, we've learned that this is this is how we've done things and this is how we've decided to feed the world. Let's bring about some sort of change. And the problem I've noticed though is that where do you begin with change? And and maybe you begin wherever you can and maybe that's the answer. But the the reason I ask where do you begin with change is because partly 
you're trying to change a, an existing system and the individuals that are part of the system by bringing in the virtues of, of equality and justice and compassion and fairness, except you're trying to bring those virtues into a system that has been designed to just mass produce cheap, fast, unhealthy food. So you can convince people or you can provide products that are healthier, more compassionate, more just, uh, more sustainable. But if the system is designed to benefit those that just produce, mass produce, cheap, fast, unhealthy food, where do you begin at chipping away at that system? I guess, you know, to boil this down into one simple question is, is it worth focusing on the system or is it worth focusing on people? Uh, so do you change the system or can you even change the system without first getting people to open their eyes to the fact that they need to change and they need to ask for better food or more sustainable food or more healthy food? Um, what, what is your take on that? Is it both or is it one of those two that we can begin with? Well, I don't think it's either or mm -hmm. because the systems are formed by people. Um, they are sustained by people, they are upheld by people, defended by people. So when, when we make the effort to share a right view, and when I say right view, I don't say it with arrogance. I mean, there are things that are more helpful than others. The view of interconnectedness, the view of interdependence mm -hmm. is much more helpful and practically more effective than the view of separation. When we tend, when we um, promote that view and people start realizing what I do to others affects me. How I treat animals affects humans. How I dispose of my garbage affects the planet in which I live. Um, how I treat other humans that live in different countries affects eventually mm -hmm. the quality of my life here in this country. When we begin to see things in that interconnected way, then the systems must change because, well, for the first, for to begin with, they are unsustainable. Mm -hmm. And secondly, because they will lose their power. Of course, I'm not talking about a sudden change. Uh, all changes of this magnitude are gradual. And frankly, I'm not convinced necessarily that we have the time <laughs> to make uh, these changes uh, in the scale that they need, that they need to happen. But it's the only way. The only way to achieve change is to change people's views. Everything we do, mm. everything is informed and preceded by a view. I guess the system does not exist without the people who have uh, given it meaning or even structure or um, continue to perpetuate that system. So if you change the view that people have, um, we have some hope of bringing about the change in the overall system because you know a lot of times i get caught up in discussions or debates with people saying when it comes to food is it more beneficial to convince people the way they view their food is wrong and and they need to look deeper and question their food and understand where it comes from and then when they learn 
the the suffering and the injustice involved in their food production, they will demand something better. Or is it more beneficial to just uh, provide them the quote unquote better food so that they don't have to think about it? And um, and I've I've realized that there's and you're right, it's not an uh, it's not a choice really. I think we kind of have to do both, but you almost have no chance at succeeding if people don't change their view. Um, exactly. because then, you know, th- then whatever change you bring about is going to be very temporary. It won't be. And we're going to recreate the problem, mm-hmm. right? If we don't change the way we view things, if we only try to provide a cheaper, uh, nicer, equally, uh, delicious, know, tasty, <laughs> delicious food, then what can happen and will happen is that we will slowly migrate back to our mistakes. Mm. That's why, you know, um, although any reason, any reason to go vegan helps the animals, right? Anyone. And therefore helps the planet and helps all of us, whether it's for health reasons, human health reasons, whether it's for ecological reasons, whether it's for uh, water conservancy, etc. Mm-hmm. Any reason is good. However, any reason that is not founded on an appreciation mm-hmm. of interdependence runs the risk of going back to the same kind of problem Mm. that we've experienced up to now, right? If you don't know where the mistake lies, you're bound to make it again. Hmm. Yeah. um, (laughs) You know, the reason I'm I'm kind of smiling and laughing is that I really like media and I like communications and, and branding and marketing. Now, it seems like this may seem like a leap into why I'm getting into this topic right now, but it, but but bear with me for a moment. Uh, sure. The reason I like those things is because if you want to bring about any kind of change, and I know today we're talking about food and our food system, but you can apply this to nearly anything, even politics. It's all about understanding what motivates people and what people believe in. And yes. what we've basically found is that different people are motivated by different things, and believe in different things. But there are a lot of similarities within those differences as well. And it's kind of an easier way to think of people and their views uh, is to kind of think them on a, think of it as a, as a kind of a spiral. I guess that's the best way to say it. Some people are at the bottom of the spiral. Some people are ascending to the top. Um, and I, I'm not saying the top is better than the bottom or not. It's just people, as you... And I mean by the top of the spiral is that as you broaden your view, as you open up to the idea of uh, interconnectedness and the fact that every action has a reaction and eventually, even though it may appear that it's impacting someone else, it comes back to impact us. That's true of any event in the world, especially ones that affect the planet, but also ones that affect people in other parts of the world. You go and harm people in one part of the world, eventually they're going to come back and harm you. Um, yes. It's just a simple law. And the reason I brought up marketing and branding is because in the food system as well, whether you're trying to sell a food product or even if you are an activist trying to convince people or organizations or corporations to change, if you don't understand what their views are, what motivates them and what did they believe in, you can't really convince them 
to broaden their view or change it. And right. the role of language, communications, branding, marketing is designed just to do that. So, you know, the, the reason I, I, get, I get really excited about that is because uh, I find lessons from the things that you say that come from, from, from Buddhism, really, and from, from understanding of our mind uh, have implications and applications that, that are currently seen everywhere. So, so I guess in a way to make it a little bit more relatable for people um, before I go off into my, my theories about, about how meditation can help you become a better marketing person. <laughs> uh, uh, because, you know, marketing can, is usually been denoted with trying to sell things that people don't need. But it can also yes. be applied to change people's views to, to, to buy things or not buy things uh, that can have a positive impact. And so yeah. the, the, the challenge we, we face here is that, you know, assuming we're sitting, we, we, we are somewhere higher up in that spiral, and, and you are definitely way higher than me in your view of the world. Um, one of the things that people need to probably understand, and let me know if you agree or not, is that you've got to look at the other people, not with a sense of supremacy, that they are less than you, but almost from a sense of, um, I don't know, empathy and understanding that they just have not been exposed to the same facts, circumstances, conversations, books, shows, whatever it may be that have helped, that would have helped them to reach the point that we have reached, that we understand interconnectedness. And then you realize our role has to be to help them see that next step in their evolution of their view. So I, I hope I'm making sense. But my point is, how do you do that in a, in a way where you are convincing them that, you know, this is the right view, but you're also empathetic that you don't call their view the wrong view? Right. And that is a big challenge because the stakes are very high. Things are literally out of hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have great urgency. And sometimes people resistance to seeing things um, makes us angry. Mm -hmm. And anger, sadly, is very counterproductive. I have to I confess, you, you said that I, I sit higher. I, I don't sit higher. I sit uh, like everybody else and uh, probably lower because I uh, tend not to use chairs. I tend to sit on the floor. <laughs> but, uh, Today, I have to confess, I got angry at a dear friend um, because of his unwillingness, not inability, because of his unwillingness to consider other points of view. Um, and that is not helpful. It's not a helpful thing to do from my part. It would have been much more, uh, how should we say, much more wise much more effective to uh, just perhaps change the conversation and wait for a better occasion, right? Mm -hmm. A better moment. Um, however, the urgency sometimes gets in the way. And I'm not, not questioning the fact that we have an urgent endeavor in hand, but people are only ready to change when they're ready, not on our timeline. That's the challenge, really. <laughs> you know that we can say that uh, 
you know, we've got to understand other uh, people's views. And just to give people an example of what I'm really talking about here, let, let's just say uh, that I'm sure people listening to this podcast know I've said this before, is that we have a finite amount of time. The next decade or two is crucial. If we don't bring about certain changes in our food system and certain changes in our dietary patterns, if people don't start choosing more plants uh, every time they sit down to eat, uh, basically, we will not have a shot. We will reach the point of no, de- no return in a couple of decades or maybe even a, even one decade, according to the UN. And then doesn't matter what we do, it's going to be too late for the planet. And by that, I mean basically too late for humanity. The planet will survive. It's us who are in trouble. So that brings up this case of, okay, we have this short timeline. We have, you know, you have 10 years to convince the world and our f- people who control our food system and the governments that subsidize this food system that we need to bring about some radical change. And, and on the other hand, you have people who are like, well, I'm not ready to change yet. Talk to me in five years. <laughs> Maybe I'll be there. Um, and then you have this you know, paradox, this dichotomy, this struggle where you have... Um, you know, you can't blame activists for being angry sometimes, and neither can you blame, I guess, people for being resistant because they just don't see it. And if you don't see it, no amount of facts, no amount of conversations on podcasts or TV shows or books are going to help them see it. So I don't know, I guess, what advice would you have for people who are, you know, fighting for, a, for change who see this urgency, see that, 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 that things aren't changing fast enough, how do you balance the sense of urgency with, uh, with, with the, whether it's you know, the empathy, the compassion, the understanding that people will only change when they want to change? Well, this is where we have to go back to how we started. We have to, uh, we have to cultivate peace. We have to do what most people call meditation, which basically is cultivating our own peace, recovering our own peace. Uh, without peace, it is impossible to make any effective change. And things take as long as they take and not any shorter. Do we have enough time? I don't know. Does it change what we should do? Probably not. What do I mean by that? Uh, I often ask this question of people. If you, if there's something happening right in front of you and you know what is the right thing to do, will you not do it because probably you will fail or would you do it anyway? Doing the right thing is the right thing, whether you are successful or not. Isn't that something that perhaps even our mothers taught us at some point? (laughs) Or or should have. (laughs) Um, So we have to do the right thing and go the smart and and the compassionate way. Because we cannot build a more compassionate world through violent means. It is not possible. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not saying, you know, vegans cannot form an army and take over. I'm talking about we need to 
have peaceful speech. We need to have peaceful conduct. And I know there are people out there who say, I'm tired of that, it hasn't worked. Well, all, all change has been achieved, little by little. And when we have resorted to violence, we have gotten basically another form or another brand of the same problem we've encountered. Just look at all the violent political revolutions in the world. They tend to install what? Another regime that needs to be torn down. Right? Uh, the only solution to violence is peace. The only solution to uh, hatred is compassion. The only uh, solution to attachment is kindness. We can't we can't try to remedy things by putting in place more of the same, just from a different angle. You know, there's so much in there that people may not understand on the surface of why um, meditation, because I know it's just a word for some people, and some people equate that as being sitting down and not thinking, which is completely wrong. It's more about, and I'm sure you can you can explain that better than me, but it's I can only say how I found it useful in the context of the work that I do, uh, is that in the last few years, I, I would say in some ways my thinking has also evolved about change and, and the pace of change and where I need to focus my energies. And the reason I say this is not because this this is about me, but I maybe someone will hear something from what I have to say and, and apply it in their own way. But uh, I've been doing work in the food space using media and communications for the past six years or so. And it's only in the last two years that I've started to see things very differently. And it, it only started after I spend it, I started spending more time um, observing my mind. I guess that's just another term for meditation. I think it's observing my mind. And I realized that as much as I'm try I was trying to get other people to see things the way I was seeing things and to see the, what I believed was the right view, which is we need to be more conscious about our purchasing habits, whether it is food, clothing, or other items that are having a negative impact on people, on the planet, as well as animals. And as much as I was using every trick in the online advertising and media playbook that I had learned over my decade-plus career uh, before getting into this space, I realized that just change was not happening quick enough and only when I started spending more time observing my own mind, starting with meditation, um, I realized that, you know, often I was blaming people for being wrong. I was often, even if I wasn't explicitly blaming them with words or actions or, or, or online content necessarily, in my mind, I, I, I thought I was right and they were wrong. <laughs> and um, that in itself is another form of separation at the end of the day. And so I spent... And, I, and maybe, I've probably said this before for those who have heard previous episodes, I spent time analyzing other people's views, reading books from people who disagreed with what I had to say, or, or my view that we need to shift away from eating primarily meat, dairy, and eggs to a diet rich in plant-based foods for us to have any hope for a future. And that would be an easy solution to some of our huge planetary problems. And other people believed that was wrong view and that we should maybe do grass-fed beef and, 
and 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 there were other ways to farm animals um, in the in the right or humane way. And I realized I was resistant to other people's viewpoints because I was attached to mine in some ways. So um, the reason I bring that up as an example, and and not to say that I found that they were right and I was wrong, and I just think I realized that people have different views, and their views are only determined by their knowledge and experience and their interactions with people um, that they are able to learn those new views from. And some people just don't evolve in their views. Uh, and so the best I could do is follow what I believed was right, like you just said, irrespective of what the consequences were. And to make sure that in my approach to 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 helping people change and, and bringing about some sort of change in the small way that I can do it, all I had to do was do things that felt right and true to me um, without necessarily getting too caught up about who, who liked it or didn't like it um, or who agreed or disagreed with it. So I, I guess my point is just I love the idea of what you just said is that, yes, we may not have time. Yeah, so it's not a question of hope or no hope. Yes, we may be running out of time and people may not be changing fast enough. Does it change what we have to do? It shouldn't, because if you believe it's the right thing to do, we should do that. And I think that comes from this point, this place of um, being able to not just observe your own mind, but but start to see um, other people's views, uh, which I don't think we do enough of in the society. And to see things clearly. Mm -hmm. See, one of the things that comes with peace, mental peace, is that there is clarity. Classic example, if you're agitated and, you know, you're crazy looking for your keys, you may have them in your hands and not notice it, right? <laughs> but when you take a breath and you calm down, you say, ah, they're here all along, right? So clarity is not something that has to be fabricated. Clarity is something that is a product of peace. When we are more peaceful <clears throat> and we start seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, there are many reasons why people make the choices that they make. <clears throat> and one of them is convenience. And this is a very important one. There are some people, vast numbers of people in this country and elsewhere, for whom a change in their uh, food habits is not a simple thing. Uh, Many people, thousands and thousands and thousands of poor people live in what is called a food desert, right? They have no access mm -hmm. to anything. They have greater access to uh, fast food than they have to fruits, vegetables, grains, beans, etc. Um, one of the things that we need to do uh, when we start seeing with a little bit more clarity is we need to perhaps make it possible to the extent of our capacity, make it possible for people to make better choices. Um, let me give you a very, very uh, simple and small example. I uh, work with a group here in, uh, in the Dallas area that helps feed the homeless. Um, but guess what? They used to make sandwiches for the homeless, and they were all, well, dairy and meat sandwiches. 
So um, a couple of years ago, we started getting together on Friday evenings and making vegan sandwiches for the homeless. And uh, suddenly, our, our collaborators that distribute the sandwiches, suddenly they realize that there's a, there's a big demand for vegan sandwiches among the homeless. They didn't know. Oh, the homeless don't eat vegan. Well, I guess what? They, they consume hundreds and hundreds and thousands of vegan sandwiches that we make, and they ask for them. Why? Because they're accessible. Because we've made it a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient to do so. Same thing is true, and we could make a big change, and I'm advocating for this. You know, if there's a food bank in your area, does your food bank carry uh, vegan uh, products? And if not, why not? And could it be made more accessible? Could families have access to vegan food if they need it and want it? There's so many so many ways in which we can just help people make choices, not not by brainwashing them, not by browbeating them, but by giving them options. That kind of goes back to our earlier point about um, what should you change, the system or uh, people. And I think it's yes, <laughs> both. And in some cases, the only option is to change the system because there are people who are... Um, victims of that system and 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 this the food deserts is a perfect example the homeless is a perfect example it's that they are you know if if people live in a place where it's cheaper to buy a big mac than it is to buy a head of lettuce then they're definitely going to do that if they don't have enough money to buy food so you can't blame them for making the wrong choice in those cases you've got to make sure we we improve uh, access to healthier foods and we improve distribution of food um, and, and, and kind of level the playing field in some ways where healthy food can become an option for them um, if they so choose to and can afford it. Or what you said, it's, just, it's all about clarity. It's the ability to see things as they are. And as we're talking about this, I, I have to keep in mind that maybe there are some people listening to this and if they've made it this far, Hopefully, they're getting something out of this. But there may be some people listening to this that don't do any meditation or inner work or self-inquiry or any spiritual word work, uh, just afraid of all those terms. What would you tell them? What advice would you give them so that they would be interested to, to, to maybe explore it? You know, how do we even get someone interested in seeing clearly? Because that is, as you said, the first step. Well, you know, um, your body, and this is whether you are young now or you are mature or you are like some of us on your, on your way to your expiration date, right? Um, the body will fail us at some point. What uh, is closest to us all the time is our mind. We have no qualms. I mean, not, not everybody does it, but we understand. Most people understand the need to train the body, the need to care for the body. And yet, that which rules the body, which is the mind, we leave to chance. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it make sense just for our own welfare 
for our own uh, peace of mind um, to train our minds so that we're in control and, and not the other way around. Uh, how many people do we know that say, I can't help it? I can't help myself. This is, uh, you know, this comes over me and I can't help myself. Well, why is that? Why is that? Because we are not, uh, we do not understand how the mind works. And therefore, uh, patterns, habits, inclinations, tendencies, and basically external situations tend to control us. We become victims of situation rather than uh, being in control. I always ask people this question. If, uh, and let's pray that it doesn't happen, but if you're in an accident and there's a friend with you, what kind of friend would you prefer? The kind that goes crazy and starts pulling his hair out and screaming? Or the friend that remains calm, looks around and says, what can we do to solve this problem? Which friend would you prefer? And most people would prefer the calm friend. And then I turn the question around and I say, which friend do you want to be? Because you're the friend who's going to be there no matter where you are, right? So if you want to have the capacity to remain calm, to assess what are your options and to make the best possible choices, then there is no uh, alternative but to train the mind. And you don't have to commit to a rigorous uh, program. You don't have to meditate two hours every day. You know, start simple. When you go to the gym and you've never lifted any weights, you don't go straight to the 500-pound barbell. Uh, perhaps you go to the three-pound weights, right? And make sure that you can handle those. And then little by little, you increase your weight. Well, the same thing. This holds true for any kind of training, including mind training. So one thing that I recommend for people, and you can test this. This is not something you have to accept uh, on faith alone. Try this. A few times during the day, take the time just to take 10 slow breaths. Just inhale slowly. Through the nose, exhale slowly through the nose and do it 10 times. We have timed this. It literally takes less than two minutes. And you will see, you will feel the results. It is not something that uh, is has to be accepted on faith. It is something that you test against your reason and your experience. And if it helps you, why not do it? And if you do this a few times during the day, we recommend just for just for remembering, right? We recommend uh, to do this 10 times. So we call the practice 10 by 10, right? 10 breaths, 10 times during the day. Then you will notice that you're in entire mental state during the day becomes calmer, more productive, more focused, more able to make 
right choices. Yeah, that's a great starting point. I think uh, for people who are afraid of the idea of, of sitting down and closing their eyes and even for 15, 20 minutes, uh, it can seem like an eternity if you haven't done it before. That's just a simple, easy thing. Focus on your breath. Um, I do it multiple times a day, and it's just a good reminder sometimes that to, to not get too caught up with, with the noise that happens uh, upstairs. And when I mean upstairs, I mean in my mind. Um, and, you know, while you were saying that, I was also thinking about um, it's all about cultivating peace and, and clarity. And with clarity comes um, the ability to to not just see other people's points of view, but also see your own wrong points of view at times and your own biases and attachments, because we, we all kind of have them. Um, whether it's because we identify in a certain way because of the the diets we choose or the the things we believe in or the the social or political views that we have. And those eventually then kind of become cloudy lenses through which we view the world because we don't necessarily see the bigger picture because we put on our little filters of our belief systems in place. And the reason I bring that up is... um, this is more more of a question specifically to help people who are actively working to bring about change, whether they are food entrepreneurs, work in food companies, or are activists, run nonprofits, or work at a nonprofit. Um, I'm saying this only because I've seen it, is that as people start to experience success, and, and you can define success in many ways, is a successful campaign by a nonprofit. It could be a successful launch of a product that's now increasing in in sales and becoming uh, more popular around the country and the world. Um, I've unfortunately noticed uh, the same tendencies creep into people who are trying to do good that I've observed in people that on the surface appear to be doing things that are not so good. Um, And and what I mean by that is because they Again, I don't know if it's because we are operating in this capitalist system uh, or it's just that we're just human and we're all flawed, is that eventually I end up seeing people being driven more by the interest in profit or competition or ending their competition or jealousy in some ways because another organization has gotten funding versus versus theirs or uh, another product is getting more press versus theirs. And of course, these are legitimate, sometimes legitimate business concerns if you're running a business. You you want to keep your business successful and running so your employees can get paid and you can keep doing the good work that you're doing. But how do you, again, balance that as, as an entrepreneur, as an activist? You know, how do you not fall into the same traps of um, competition and jealousy and, um, uh, again, wrong views, really? when all of you are driven by bringing about improvements in our food system or compassion or peace or, or, or spread vegan products or whatever it may be? What advice would you have for people? Repetition is how humans learn. I am sure that you, Neil, and certainly anybody who's, who's joined the podcast now can recall by memory ads from a long time ago for products they didn't even like, right? Why do we remember them? Because we were exposed to them over and over and over. Just because we understand something new, just because we have attained some right view or some level or some uh, 
modicum of right view at some point does not mean that we have it forever. We can lose it if we don't cultivate it. And that is the beauty and the importance of Sangha. Sangha is a Sanskrit word that literally means company, a good company. We need to remain in the company of those who will strengthen right view, who will alert us to uh, when, when we uh, stray into the wrong view of separation and supremacy. Uh, there is, a, and we need to repeat it. We need to come together frequently and we need to uh, remind ourselves why did I start here? Why did I start this alternative food company? Did I start it to, um, you know, challenge General Foods on a on an economic basis, or did I start it with uh, more noble intentions? And and that's why did I start this nonprofit? Right? Because we had a mission. We have to be very careful not to fall prey to what sociologists call the the iron law of organizations, right? Uh, the iron law of organization says that and no matter what the initial mission or purpose of our organization eventually, uh, basically subsistence of the organization itself becomes the primary mission. Mm -hmm. And once we've done that, we might as well you know, fall into line with with that which we are now railing against. <laughs> that is what's happened. You know, convenience, success, shortcuts, short-term benefits, short-term profit, then become the a guiding strategy for any individual or any organization. So we need sangha. We need a good company. We need to come together often. Not for work, huh? uh, because you know some people say, "Well, I spend all my day with you know other people who work in the same thing." No, come together for peace. Come together for meditation. Come together to review uh, the reasons why we do what we do. Come together to explore interconnectedness. To explore equality. Come together to explore the uh, intersectionalities of what we do with others because we may find that we're not as alone as we thought. There are other people dealing exactly with the same root issues, just in a different front. But we won't discover that if we remain isolated, if we remain by ourselves and constantly exposed to the strong, repetitive, and, well, unstoppable message that we are receiving from the greater uh, society, from the greater culture, compete, win at all costs, uh, whoever has the most toys win, right? <laughs> and then in the new, you started the new conscious evolution of the food system, you end up having people just using those terms sustainable and vegan and uh, compassionate as is branding more than anything else right that's the dark side of, of marketing what were your probably your initial um very passionate and and right intentions that you had when you got started 
then merely become buzzwords that you use to to sell things to people um and it maybe even loses its meaning for you and and you know you just do it because that's what makes people buy things or that's what makes people donate money to you and um you know i think it's it's what you said there's so so important and maybe there's not enough room or space uh, or efforts in our society for that where people who are working uh on you know find struggling to find a word for it but i guess on on conscious nonprofits or businesses trying to do more good and peace trying to spread more good and peace in the world versus uh more suffering and uh and and competition is to make sure that they kind of have a space and and connections with each other to keep themselves in check um and to remind as you said remind themselves why it is that they do what they do and why it's easy to fall prey to tactics that are often used by people that we would claim to disagree with and and a good example of that is just you know even just correcting our language sometimes and i don't mean by language policing as much as i mean that every time you're launching a a product or you're launching a campaign are you shaming someone else are you um are you creating separation are you are you trying to say that you know we are better and 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 you are not and i i kind of struggle with this often where i even saying i kind of got sick of the word vegan and plant based because it was so restrictive it implied it implied that i was somehow superior in some ways even though it i didn't think that but other people assumed that that by saying i was in a certain way or ate in a certain way i was implying a sense of superiority or or moral high ground which i thought was kind of you know kind of against what i'm trying to do here and so what you said again is about creating space and community or sangha um is such a crucial aspect of it and i think i think you've just given me more uh incentive to continue doing some of the the efforts i've been trying to do is get people together in this space um whether it's even conversations on this podcast or it is uh through organizing conferences or um even you know group meditations in my apartment if that's what it takes to get people to to get together and and realize we're all kind of in this shared confusing experience called life and and we who work in the food space or in the activism world connected to food uh share even more in common and more struggles in common and and sometimes um you know success can get 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 in the way of that and can delude us into thinking that uh we are in fact bringing about change when all we're probably doing is as you said is maybe furthering the 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 iron rule of an organization which is the the subsist the, the the survival of that organization right. um so those are interesting profound questions that i don't think people ask themselves enough and they're they're actually very common sense things mm-hmm. you know what motivates us what keeps us motivated that is usually uh the company we keep I know this sounds like a commercial it was uh, <laughs> but uh that is that is another thing that we should have learned from our mothers right they told us uh you know they told us to keep good company and to uh avoid uh, companies that were not so good mm-hmm. and uh, as adults we need to make the choices in our association in our community that support 
our aspirations that support our best and highest views. Otherwise, it's so easy. We have a saying in Spanish, bajando hasta las calabazas ruedan, which means uh, going downhill, even pumpkins will roll down. <laughs> uh, meaning, you know, if you don't watch it, uh, the gravity of what has been, the gravity of uh, society, the gravity of inertia will take over. Yeah. We have to make the effort, and the effort actually can be very joyous because it's reaching out and sharing with those with similar aspirations so that we can remain focused on our own individual path and on our collective collaboration. Yeah, you're right. And I love that you use the word common sense <laughs> to describe this because sometimes people hear things like, what we're talking about and perhaps someone who's listening to this is maybe thinking that is that oh yeah you're saying just peace love and everyone should get along and collaborate and love each other and and spread happiness and and and, and joy in the world and but that's just not how the world works and and in there lies the flaw that is the world works however you want it to work <laughs> and so you by by saying that you're itself just admitting to being a victim again when in fact it is kind of in our power to shape shape this reality and and the world and our systems in whatever way we choose to do it uh but a crucial part of that is being able to do it in a way that cultivates peace and and you know as as a sort of hippie and hokey that may sound uh that's the only word i have for it <laughs> and uh that's just a sad part is the language is limit is it has its own limitations sometimes because when you when i say peace or you know mindfulness people will conjure images in their head of i don't know something that they believe it could be good or it could be bad um but i think what people need to understand is Forget that. And I even say this in the context of, of the environment sometimes. I say, when people say, are you an environmentalist? And I say, no, I'm, I guess you can call me that, but I believe in common sense. <laughs> um, are you? And people ask me if I'm an animal rights activist. And I said, not really. Again, I believe in common sense. I don't really, I, I don't want to destroy this planet and I don't believe in inflicting unnecessary harm. Those two paths of inquiry eventually lead me down to the path that I'm on and believing the things that I believe in. So you need to, everyone needs to believe in whatever they choose to believe in, but just be honest with themselves um, and follow that path of inquiry without any, uh, any preconceived filters or uh, conditioned kind of points of view on that if you meditate, now you're this pacifist, um, peace-loving person who cannot have strong views or opinions about things. And I don't think people try to oversimplify their lives when I think we all have to admit we're all pretty complicated beings. The fact that you admitted you got angry with someone in itself says that you know, not just because you're a monk, you're not now sitting on some elevated um, uh, pedestal looking down on the world uh, claiming that you've achieved enlightenment. <laughs> No, <laughs> definitely not, right? We have to accept things as they are, and we have to accept ourselves as we are if we want to have any positive 
impact on the world. We cannot pretend. This is, uh, we're playing for keeps. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, before I kind of um, start to sort of wind down this conversation, I want to I want to get your thoughts on one thing that I've kind of touched on, but didn't necessarily articulate it as being about this issue. But what are your thoughts of people's attachment to identity? Um, and it may sound like a very broad question in the context of the discussion we are supposed to be having on this podcast, but I guess we can talk about anything. My question about identity is, I don't mean by because identity can be interpreted in many ways, but I kind of mentioned how I was sort of frustrated that when I would say I choose to eat in a certain way, people would then label that identity as something and assume certain things about me and assume that I would think I'm better than them or whatever it may be. But I'm not asking about that. I'm really talking about we all tend to get attached to certain identities, whether it is... I, um, you know the way we dress, the, the the way we look, the the things we believe in it could be religion, it could be politics, it could be uh, our views on harming animals or using them, or you know people who hunt identify with that and believe that they that that's a good thing that they're doing, whatever the identity may be. Um, what would your advice be to people to question their their attachment to their own identities? Because, and maybe I'm I'm making a leap here, but part of it is the problem is all these identities are sort of arbitrary and delusional delusions, really. At best, an identity is partial, right? Um, at worst, it's completely false. But even if it's partially correct. It is temporary. And to identify with something that is changing constantly is a recipe for suffering. Hmm. Um, even, even the most simple person has multiple identities, right? You're somebody's child, uh, somebody's brother or sister, somebody's... Uh, niece or nephew, somebody's grandchild, somebody's significant other, somebody's parent perhaps, somebody's friend. And all these things are different identities and they come up for us situationally. So when you're with your friends, your friend identity uh, comes to the fore. When you're with your parents, your child identity comes to the fore. In the same way, when you're with other animal rights activists, your animal rights activist identity comes to the fore. But you have many other identities. And to reduce yourself, to limit yourself, to define yourself as any one thing is a disservice to you. You're much bigger than that. So don't view it as, you know, abandoning an identity is being... Being open to recognizing that you have multiple identities and that those identities only arise according to time, place, and circumstance. So it's not so much about leaving them behind as in recognizing they keep changing. None of them is fixed. None of them is permanent. 
none of them is uh, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. All of them are at best partial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I love that. That's, that's so... That is that is so true, and it is so easy for us to just get caught up um, with certain things and views, and and I just I, I don't know. I believe that people should just have the freedom to to be whatever they want to be, and think whatever they want to think of themselves, um, as long as you're not harming anyone else and you're spreading uh, more peace and compassion and 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 goodness in the world. Uh, then you're probably doing the right thing, um, but and I think that's just basic, simple, common sense. Um, but if you really dig deep into that issue, you realize that kind of all the problems we face in the world are as a result of people's misinterpretation of that. Um, we get upset people have certain beliefs. We get upset people call themselves certain things and uh, desire certain things. And I think people should should align on the fact that, listen, at the heart of all of it, we all kind of want the same thing. We all want to live happy, peaceful lives, um, find happiness in some way. And whether it's even people who who launched big meat processing companies that became factory farms that have now caused the destruction on the planet and to animal billions of animals on the planet that we talk a lot about, they all did those things. And this is kind of going back to what I said in the beginning. They all did those things only out of the intention of of making themselves happy, making their families happy, making their employees happy, their shareholders happy, uh, and their partners happy, uh, and was not done with the intention necessarily to inflict pain and suffering and lead to an existential crisis on planet Earth. Um, right. And I think in some ways, you know, to 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 kind of close this on a hopeful note, I'm seeing a lot happening now in the food industry, not just from, uh, even from meat companies themselves that they recognize for their own reasons, right? It won't necessarily be because they want to spread peace and compassion, but because they recognize that if they continue doing what they're doing, that the, we're going to run out of land and water and we're going to destroy our oceans. And what good would that business be if they don't have any land to 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 grow crops to feed their animals on? Um, so they must shift and change. And I think a lot of them are embracing a new world of sustainable plant-based foods. And who knows, once we have cell-based meat in the future, that they will embrace that too. And they've made investments in those companies. And to me, it's a sign that, that you don't necessarily have to convince someone that they're wrong to get them to change. You don't have to convince someone who farms animals that they're wrong. You just have to show them the bigger picture. You've got to get them to see the, you know, the the bigger, more expansive view of things and not just expansive view of things as they stand today, but kind of an expansive view of time and that the things that we do in this moment, what are the downstream impacts in, in the seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades down the line. And that to me is is you know, again, the reason I'm even talking to you today is because I think the path to achieving that broader view comes from learning how to observe your mind, sitting and meditating, even taking 10 breaths uh, every now and then that are more intentional will will kind of lead you down that path. And even before you know it, you're suddenly starting to see things a little clearer. 
And with that clear sight, you can kind of make more common sense decisions. And so, you know, you will make the right food choice and you will be less destructive in your words and you're sorry, less violent with your words and your actions. You will try to help others instead of hurt them because it'll, you'll realize that's just the sensible thing to do. Exactly. And, um, you know, when, when we recognize the goodwill of others, maybe then they are, they will be more ready to recognize our goodwill. And that is something that we can share. We yeah. have to build on something. We cannot build on conflict. We have to build on some common ground. Yeah, you said something uh, on the on the retreat we were on uh, that stuck with me. Um, even though when you did say it at the moment, <laughs> I kind of probably, including many others in the room, sort of maybe snickered and laughed a little bit you said everyone has some virtues even yes. the worst person on planet earth uh which you know there are different opinions people have on who the worst person is again everyone has their own view you ask a republican they will tell you many names and you ask a democrat they will tell you many names and again both those identities of democrat and republican are also sort of all invented and not 100 percent accurate and true um but, you know, everyone has some virtues. Everyone, you may be the world's worst politician, but you probably a great dad. Who knows? And, and I think that's an important point to start from, start from the goodness of people. And I think, you know, the lessons there can be applied in many, many numerous ways, how you talk to people, but also in the context of, of being a food entrepreneur or an activist in terms of how you approach those who you're trying to, you know, convince to shift to your product or to um, to join your campaign, um, is find the goodness in people instead of the the wrong in people. No one wants to be told they're wrong, unfortunately. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you know it's maybe pretty apparent that they are wrong, uh, no one likes to hear that, and and maybe eventually they'll arrive at that conclusion themselves. Um, so, you know, Tashi, I could keep talking to you and I know I want to be mindful of your time. So I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of wind this down right now and, and kind of ask you, um, one of my final questions that I ask all my podcast guests, but I do think of this as being one amongst many conversations we're going to have, um, that I hope people find useful, that'll help them see things differently and realize that, that, you know, meditation isn't necessarily sitting on a mat and and um, struggling not to think. In fact, it is not at all that. It is more about learning to see things a little clearer. And by doing so, we can unleash the full potential of what it means to be uh, a, a, a good human being that can bring about change in the world, which I hope everyone listening to this show at least are trying to achieve. So the last question I have for you, Tashi, for today at least, is... Uh, and I ask this of all my guests, is that if the work that you're doing uh, in terms of trying to spread, uh, spread um, mindfulness and compassion and uh, interconnectedness and, and equi equanimity amongst people with the, with the help of the talks that you give and 
uh, your sangha and your meditation practice uh, and the retreats that you lead, um, if you can convince people through the work you're doing with helping uh, people change their their food habits as well, uh, is successful. And I, I don't mean just the work that you're doing, but I, I, I kind of want to broaden that to the work that we all are doing uh, in this space, whether it's people starting food companies uh, that are trying to sell more sustainable foods or healthy foods, whether it's people who are activists out there trying to bring about change in the food system. If we are successful, um, and I know you said earlier that you should do the right thing, whether you're successful or not, but I do want to kind of get your take on what happens if we do succeed. Like, what is what is your vision for a world in the year 2050? Like, what do you think our food system could look like if we could get other people to change their wrong views and adopt the right views? And if we could get them to understand that the common sense things, thing to do is to, is to change the way we eat, uh, change the foods that people have access to, and that in itself can bring about massive, massive change, not just for our planet and, and, the, and the struggle that it's facing right now, thanks to climate change and, and other issues, but also uh, in how we treat other beings, humans and, and, and animals alike. What is your view of a perfect world in the year 2050, if you get it right? I don't know if this world will ever be perfect, but certainly <laughs> if we were to change drastically, our food industries, I think we would immediately notice a lessening of conflict among humans. And perhaps we could begin to see that the harm that we have inflicted on animals, we also inflict on each other. That alone would be worth uh, whatever efforts we uh, we are making and, and will continue to make to change our food industry because a, a society that feeds on violence cannot but be violent. So when we stop feeding on violence, I strongly, strongly suspect that we will see a flowering of peace among humans. That's simple, but so profound. Um, and I think you're right. And and I think, which is why I, I appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, and I appreciate the fact that you are not only able to talk about Buddhism and mindfulness and meditation uh, in the context of our general outlook to the world, but also specifically um, aligned or have the right view when it comes to food and, and changing our food habits. So, uh, Tashi, once again, thank you. Thank you so much for, for being on today and for your uh, wisdom and for entertaining all my random questions and uh, for your, your, your patience and, and, and relentless efforts to spread the most basic lessons that we unfortunately are not taught in school and colleges um and perhaps we're taught that by our mothers but weren't paying we're attention, not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> thank you neil thank you for all you do and uh for all uh you know your listeners out there i my my deepest deepest gratitude for whatever acts of compassion and kindness you have done our doing and we'll continue to do. 
You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.